Well, hello everyone again, and welcome. Here we are, finally, it's season two. Can you believe it? We made it. This is, of course, the Witten Whiskey Cast. I am Marcus Eddy Jr., and I am accompanied by the man that you all want to listen to, the condescending count of cocktails, one DJ Gagden. Say hello, DJ. Hey, yo, we back. We are back, despite the best efforts of... Whatever deity uh, it is you pray to out there, ladies and gentlemen, and all the contracting gods and Nuffle and everyone that conspired against me to keep me out of uh, the 1821 Summer Kitchen Studios, I am back. I uh, We are able to record, so I want to apologize to our literal dozen of fans <laughs> that we have uh, for the delay. It's entirely my fault, but I have a new bathroom now, and... Uh, sorry, not sorry. But uh, what about you? What were you doing? You know, this is really, you know, we'll take you a little bit behind the curtain here, folks. This is really the first time DJ and I have talked in the better part of three weeks. We've been texting off and on, but this is our first actual physical communication probably since we recorded the little New Year's special. It's true. It's true. I've missed your voice, buddy. I've missed your voice. But yeah, no, since the the homestead kind of went uh, uh, under the big tarp, haven't been doing uh, a crazy amount here, just uh, cooking here and there, really enjoying. Um, I made uh, chicken tikka masala the other night, which was really fucking good. So now I want to like really just get that recipe down to scratch. So that that was a lot of fun. I've been catching up on some, some video games, catching up on some books. Uh, I am not on the COD half of the team. I'm, I'm not a big Call of Duty fan, so I've been catching up on... Just all of the one-player games. Yeah, you've been doing what I uh, what I was doing before I went away. Because uh, when when the homestead went under the big tarp, I went to live with my grandmother, and uh, she loved it. But it sort of was the land that time forgot. Uh, she doesn't. She didn't have internet, which is whatever. That's fine. But you know, you lose Netflix, you lose Hulu, all that good stuff. Uh, she has a landline, which is kind of bizarre, <laughs> especially considering she gets more calls in a day on that than I do in a week on my cell phone. It's crazy. Old people still call people. It's bizarre. Um, and she has cable, which I've never really had before. And I can tell you after three weeks, there's nothing on cable. Don't don't get it. If you're paying for cable, why? I, I don't understand. I hear you can even get sports streaming networks now, so I, I, why bother? I haven't had it in like 11 years. I'm 34, I think, combined. I've had cable for maybe seven years. Definitely six, maybe part of a seventh uh, between the last few years of living at home and then being away in college. Uh, we had it in the dorms. But otherwise, I, I've never had it, and I, I don't understand the fascination. But, but where I was going with this, before I went away, I went on PlayStation Now and just downloaded a whole bunch of single-player games to keep me busy. But, you know, they're crafty, those Sony people. Mm. Uh, if you don't connect to the interwebs uh, after 14 days, they lock you out of all the games you've downloaded. Yeah. Uh, to keep, you know, keep you, obviously, from just stealing them, which is understandable. But considering I was away for 17 days near the end, that got a little, uh, little rough. Oh, man, did we have, did, did we have some, some modern castaway there, buddy? No, um, but, you know, we had to fall back on some of the old favorites. We had to play a lot of Tropico. <laughs> uh, we had to uh, play some uh, Adventure Capitalist, which is basically a, a cell phone game ported over to the PS4. 
you know, the stuff that I that I paid for, the stuff that I have, you know, you had to go back to a lot of that. But we made it. We survived. Um, and we're here. It's what? January seventeenth. Seventeenth. Yeah, sure, we'll go with that. We're halfway okay. through the first month of twenty twenty one. We're halfway through the first month of twenty twenty one. My Christmas tree is still up. Oh yeah, I uh, decided I'm leaving my Christmas tree up until my sister can get home, and we're both vaccinated. And I, it's just, it's. I just want a little bit more cheer. I'm extending the Christmas season in, indefinitely because uh, of all the badness. Well, we moved out, I want to say the 27th, and we just got back in uh, Friday night, and I basically told Annie, yeah, we're going to leave it up till Sunday, and then today came, and we took down all the rest of the decorations, but I said, I'm not taking down the tree. So the tree's going to be up till at least the 18th, which if you listen to our Christmas special is really funny, considering it's <laughs> It is. It's pretty good. Uh, but it is 2021 now, Mark. Are you? Did you make any resolutions this year? Uh, no, because I am perfect in every way. <laughs> Fair. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, I. You know the usual bullshit that I think everybody goes through. I mean, I, I would like to drop 10 pounds because I don't want to have to go up a you know another waist size. I'm pretty comfortable in the pants I have now. Uh, my grandmother did not make that easy. <laughs> uh, I have not been on the scale since I've returned home, and I'm quite frankly dreading that, to be honest with you. Uh, but you know that, and uh, I suppose the only serious one I've made is I am going to try to be a little more patient in 2021. Patience is a virtue that I do not possess, and I'm going to attempt to improve upon that. I'm not entirely sure that's actually going to happen, because... I have a Mediterranean temper, but we're, we're going to see. I'm going to try to be more patient in my daily life. And I think, you know, living in the land that time forgot for three weeks probably helped because everything was just a step behind. Nice. What about you? Well, uh, since we last recorded, uh, I kind of had my, my big coming out moment as non-binary. So um, you did indeed. Yeah. So that was that was pretty cool. Um, so I. Came out as non-binary with he, they pronouns. I'm keeping my name because, God damn it, I fought for it. And uh, I have kind of made it a resolution this year to kind of figure out more of what that means for me. So uh, I have been doing a lot of research into, like, non-binary clothing lines and to try and, like, figure out, like, a, a different kind of wardrobe, a different kind of style, Um I do not look good in dresses. I do not feel comfortable in dresses. I will not be wearing dresses. But there, there's some good middle ground of, um, you know, some kind of gender fluid clothing out there that I really appreciate. Uh, I have found though that uh, if you start looking for gender fluid clothing, you are more, uh, more likely than not going to find stores that are like. $185 for a single button-down shirt, and uh, I don't really want to spend that much money. So uh, I'm doing more research. I found one place that I really like, um, but just kind of, uh, you know, along the same lines, I want to, you know, drop 10 pounds, so I, I got a rowing machine, and I'm trying to keep up, like, a good routine so I'm not, you know, fight off those winter blues. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's tough. I mean, the uh, I always used to make the joke, uh, that I'm a bear, I hibernate in the winter, you know, because especially around here, there's not a whole 
hell of a lot to do in general and then my hobbies especially there aren't a lot of uh, outdoor hobbies that I enjoy that you can do in the winter I've never been a ski or snowboard or tube person I, I've dabbled in it and I just I just don't like being cold <laughs> yeah same um so you know it's it's always harder uh for me you know plus I'm just a fat ass and I like food uh, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, you know, make any excuses about it. No, I just like to eat. So, you know, it, it, it's going to be difficult, but we're we're going to try to do it. And then, of course, you know, we talked about on our last episode, I am going to start the Infinity Bottle. Yes. Uh, as soon as one of the decanters runs out, I'm purposely saving the last little bit of Basil Hayden's I have. It's killing me. <laughs> but I'm, I'm keeping the last little bit, bit of Basil Hayden's I have to mix with whatever decanter runs out first. And then I will begin journaling uh, the Infinity Bottle, and we'll be giving you updates as season two progresses here That's over amazing. the next fifteen weeks. God, this is going to take us to the summer. How about it? I'm so excited. I I think I may actually attempt a an Infinity Bottle as well, but mine's going to be a years and years and years project because I don't I don't quite consume it at the rate Mark does. No, my my goal is basically to fill it, empty it start all over again. So probably by the time we start season three, uh, I imagine it'll be full or pretty close to it. And then we can, the fun can begin. Nice. I did get for Christmas this year, a friend of mine got me, uh, these like charred sticks that you can use to age whiskey. So I kind of want to do an infinity bottle. And then when it's full and I've tried it, I want to toss one of those in and see how it get how it goes. But an infinity bottle is also like a long-term experiment, so I have to like find a way of testing one of them and see if it's just a gimmick or not before I ruin an infinity bottle. It's probably partly a gimmick, but I'm sure it probably changes the, the flavor a little bit. I mean, that's even, you know, when you look at decanters, for whiskey anyway, decanters, most of it is just aesthetics. It's basically a, a gimmick. They look pretty, you know, you could be a little bit more uppity, uh, they do expose the whiskey to a bit more oxygen, but unlike wine, that doesn't do a whole hell of a lot. Yeah. In the short term. In the long term, you will actually start to notice a little bit of a change in the flavor of the whiskey. Not, nothing drastic, but enough that you would pick up on it. Uh, but, I mean, someone with my level of consumption will never notice it. <laughs> But I think that's a good segue. Uh, start us off for season two, brother. What are you drinking? Oh, boy. So I've been saving this one. I sent a picture of this to Mark. Uh, he did. And I, oh, boy. Um, I, I've smelled it a couple times. I haven't actually tried it yet. So <laughs> That is the best introduction. I isolate that when you're editing this later. We can use that for later things. <laughs> I've smelled it a couple of times, but... Um, so I, uh, I went for a rye, uh, so I, I recommend everybody, you know, give rye a try, bring it, bring him back, uh, our, our fun statement from season one. And, uh, I went with a local dis- distillery, a, a, uh, female run distillery down in Boston called the Boston Harbor Distillery. And they put out, uh, in 2020, a whiskey called Demon Seed. Uh, now, Demon Seed uh, is a flavor-infused rye whiskey, and the th- there are three flavors infused in it. Scorpion pepper, maple syrup, and ginger. And I saw this on the shelf back in probably 
like right at the end of December, right you know, between Christmas and New Year's. And I was like, I don't know what this is, but I have to bring it in for season two. So I have not tried it. I'm going to take my first sip right now. Whoo! <laughs> Got a little kick, does it? Oh, that pepper kicks you in the ass. And it lingers. You, you got a little oh, twitch in your goes. nose there? You, you're running a little bit there? Whew. Uh, that is a very interesting whiskey. Holy crap. And there it goes. Yeah, it the scorpion pepper doesn't stick around forever. It's still definitely on my tongue, but uh, I can speak now. And uh, it's really good. Uh, I don't know that I'd want to drink this every day because I think it would tear a hole in my stomach pretty quickly. Uh, but it's, it, it, right, you take the sip and you get like, you can smell it, you smell the, you're getting a lot of like the, the sweet smell from the maple syrup and there's like something there, it's kind of peppery, but you don't, and just as soon as you're like, what was that other smell? It hits your tongue. And holy crap, that's pretty spicy. Uh, that's up there. Um, but just as the pepper starts to feel too intense, it's a bit like um, like a warhead in this way. Okay. Uh, it starts to mellow off, and you get, the, you get hit with the ginger and the maple syrup. And holy crap, is that good? Uh, it's a $35 bottle, by the way, so uh, if any of you want to experiment with this, uh, it's it's a pretty decent price point. I mean, Mark and I usually try to come in in the, the mid-20s, so it's a little bit more expensive than we're, uh, we're usually getting, but man, yeah, I this is a buy. I recommend it. This is, this is pretty good. Well, there you have that. I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to have to try to get myself uh, some of that once I, I'm all vaxxed up and can make my way up north again. Uh, what about you? Well, we're both going out of our comfort zones here, but in two totally different directions. Um, you went with a spicy punch to the face, and I went the other way. I am drinking this evening the Sexton, which is a single malt, but it's a single malt Irish whiskey. Ooh. Now, uh, feel free to, you know, just send me hate tweets and hate emails and everything. But being that I do not consume Irish whiskey unless it is around March 17th, I did not know you could get single malt Irish whiskey. Uh, so I learned something. Uh, I was wandering through the liquor store. I had picked this up before Christmas, and the bottle is what got my, caught my eye. Uh, we'll have a picture of it up on all the various socials when this goes to air. But it's very short, very stout. It has a skull with a top hat and a monocle on it. And it's just sort of, it looks almost steampunky, but gothic. And like, okay. Uh, and it was about the same price range. I think I paid $32 for it, although I must admit it was on sale. And I don't know what the actual normal list price was. But the gimmick with this, in addition to being an Irish whiskey, which is a gimmick for me since I don't drink a lot of it, is it's aged for four years in sherry casks. Ooh. So it's very, very smooth. Um, they distill it in copper pots, then they immediately put it into the sherry casks. It's made by uh, Proximo Spirits. My only real complaint is the ABV is pretty low. It's only about 40%, which, yeah, I know not everybody's an alcoholic. 
Uh, but, you know, when you're used to drinking rye and things that are around that, you know, 48, 50, 52 percent mark, this does feel a little weight, uh, weak. But it's it's pretty good. It's got a nice uh, dark coppery brown color to it. And it's actually pretty smooth. It's pretty fruity. You can definitely taste the sherries. Uh, it has uh, some strawberry to it. It has almost like a, a candy note to it. It's almost like you're, you're eating a strawberry shortcake at the end. So you get a good whiskey feel in the beginning. Then it mellows out. And then it gets pretty sweet at the end. Ooh. And now if you've been listening for the last 15 regular episodes and two specials we did, you're probably waiting for me to absolutely eviscerate this. <laughs> because on paper... I should hate this, but I don't. <laughs> it's actually really good. <laughs> we, we roll reversed this week. Usually you're the ones with the really intense burns or the smoke. Yes. And, and, I, and I'm the one who likes the, the, the quiet, mellow one in the corner. Um, I will say it's not for everyone, um, but if you see it on a shelf in a bar somewhere and you can uh, get a glass of it. Give it a try. Uh, venture out of your comfort zone a little bit. I did, and I have absolutely no regrets. This may go into the rotation, uh, especially around St. Patrick's Day. That's amazing. I. It seems like we both kind of uh, onboarded ourselves. Uh, we went light this week because the, uh, the one I'm drinking is just the 66 proof. Yeah, well, you know, we're trying to work our way back into it. You know, we don't want to cripple ourselves week one. It's true. Uh, but... Uh, don't worry, folks. Normal service will resume later in the season. I promise. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get back on our feet first. Yes, yes, we'll 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 uh, we'll get back into the rotation. And speaking of the rotation, uh, why don't you introduce our topic this week? Oh, sure. So we've talked about the whiskey. Let's talk about the wit. Uh, so we are calling back to season one, where we started season one, kind of introducing ourselves and talking about um, kind of nostalgia, talking about what we were into when we were kids and, and what kind of things maybe uh, we brought with us into adulthood. And today we're going to be talking about our adulthood fandoms. We're going to be talking about things that we uh, didn't encounter until, I think we said after college, right? We did. Yeah, so things we didn't really get into until after college. You know, I... I chose things that I didn't get into until I, I was graduated and moved out and then kind of figured out some cool things to get into. And uh, so, yeah, that's what we're talking about, our adulthood fandoms. And uh, I must admit, this one was a little bit harder for me than I had thought uh, because I don't have a whole lot of things that I like now that I didn't like when I was young. I have a few uh, but I found that a lot of the things that I really got into once I was out and on my own were things that I had dabbled with as a child or as a teenager and taken a break from and then gotten back into. So I, you know, in the interest of fairness, I disqualified all of those, <laughs> although the list would have been quite a bit longer. And I've come up with three, uh, and I believe you have as well. Yes. Uh, do you want to start us off or should I? Yeah, I'll start off. Um, so I, one of mine is, it's a, a bit broader than a single fandom, but it's, it's, there's like an umbrella of nerd culture that I knew existed when I was a kid, 
But it wasn't until I got out of college and I was out of my own and I finally had money to spend uh, that I really got into. And uh, so I kind of listed it as this is my like late comer to nerddom category. Um, and we're, I'm not going to dive deep into D&D, but that is definitely on the list uh, because I didn't start playing Dungeons and Dragons until I was like 25. I think no kidding. Wow. Yeah, it was like twenty two. It was like twenty four, twenty five, and I the first game I ever played was Pathfinder, and we'll talk about that in another uh, episode. But D and D specific, I don't think I got into D and D proper um, till maybe like four years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but the other two big things are, like, board game culture. I mean, uh, up until co- I got out of college, board games were just, like, Monopoly, Sorry, Party Games, Parcheesi, you know, charades, things like that. Um, and then I finally had money of my own to spend. And, like, a lot of millennials, uh, we found that as soon as we got money, we wanted decided to revive an entire damn industry. So we brought board games back. Um and that's when, you know, we got into things like uh, Settlers of Catan and Ticket to Ride uh, and, you know, things like Boss Monster and Super Fight. And then we started getting into just all the board games, all of the board games. Uh, but the primary one I wanted to talk about was Magic the Gathering. Okay. Uh, because I didn't start playing Magic the Gathering until maybe like five or six years ago. Uh, and I knew it existed. I knew that kids were playing it. Um, this is going to sound sad and it's not, but I just didn't have a lot of friends that were into this kind of nerddom back then. Like when I got to high school, it was all like music and drama and robotics and it, it was other kinds of nerddom. And before then I just, I didn't have enough friends to play magic. So um, by the time I got around to magic, like it had been pretty well established. Everybody had been playing for years. And uh, I can honestly say being an adult fan of magic, the gathering that while the game is a lot of fun to play, I hate talking about it. Yeah. Um, I've gone to two like events at magic stores and uh, I don't I don't like playing it with people I don't know, uh, which is like seventy percent of the culture of Magic: The Gathering. It's your blood bowl. I it, feel the exact same way is. about blood bowl. Yeah. Um, so my the the fun that I have with Magic uh, because there's like a couple of different sides to Magic, right? There there's a bunch of different formats, but there's also deck building, and uh, I do not know the game well enough and have not been following it long enough to really know the, all of the card archetypes. So deck building for me is impossible. I tried it once. I was terrible at it. I don't do it. Uh, for me, the fun comes in when I get to... I, I buy like once a year, I'll buy the pre-made 100-card decks and occasionally I'll buy like a battle pack that has the 60-card ones. And I don't, I don't swap any cards in or out. I, I grab it, I sleeve it, and then I've got one, uh, you know, one or two friends, and we'll play magic. Uh, and I have a friend who really, really enjoys deck building. Shout out to Ryan uh, because he works really hard on his decks. Um, 
but I tend to play, there was, I think in like 2015, they released these uh, commander decks that were entirely overpowered and perfectly well put together. So uh, he's trying to like handle mana curves and do all sorts of clever things. And I'm just playing this deck that some genius at, at Wizards put together. And I, I know how to play it because I played it, you know, dozens and dozens of times. So I just trounce him. Um, but we have a lot of fun. He gets to test his decks out against, you know, factory original decks and, uh, and I get to win. Well, I'll have to, you know, take a, a crack at you the, the next time because it's been a while since I've played Magic, but I, I do enjoy the deck building aspect of it. My problem, and Ryan is probably going to laugh really hard when he hears this, is I find one, when I get in and out of, and I, I've been in and out of Magic just five or six times at least. See, I was the opposite DJ in that I was very lucky in that I went to a Catholic grade school Oh, nice. And during the Satanic Panic, uh, Magic the Gathering was one of the things that was targeted as being evil. Oh, yes. So because of that, it became cool. Yeah. And we all wanted to play it. So, you know, third, fourth, fifth grade, I there was a bunch of us that were playing Magic just because it was the rebel thing to do. Um, but whenever I play Magic, I will find a card in whatever the set du jour is and attempt to build a deck entirely around said card. <laughs> and it almost never works. But I am a stubborn Italian, and I refuse to admit said thing. It's fair. Uh, the other fun thing that I'm a little surprised you two haven't got into, although I'd be willing to bet Ryan has gotten into it a bit more than you have, is when you play someone enough, you begin to not only adapt your strategies to that person, you begin to adapt your decks to that person. Oh, oh, he does this. <laughs> I don't adapt to my decks at all. Uh, I, I'll give you two guesses to guess what kinds of cards I play. Uh, well, artifacts, yeah. uh, for starters, and uh, probably some type of powerful female, like a Phage the Untouchable. Or oh, something. no. Uh, I, my, favor my favorite deck is a red artifact deck with a goblin artificer at its head. Uh, yeah, I should have guessed that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I almost exclusively play like inventor or archmage decks. Um, I, I, I've got the red deck, uh, which every time I pull it out, Ryan swears. Um, I, he's never beaten it. He hasn't beaten it once. It's, it's the red commander deck from like years ago. Uh, when they were doing single colors and it's just, it's all artifacts and like heavy creatures. Uh, my personal favorite play I actually got out on him today, uh, was I had my planeswalker out and I was able to get, uh, all three of my giant artifact creatures out of the deck and on the field. And my commander was reviving them at the end of every turn. <laughs> Somewhere upstairs, I have a black and white deck uh, that was built around Platinum Angel, which I won't bore you with the card text. Just Google it. Yeah. And Bernie and I began playing, uh, our mutual friend Bernie. We, we were playing fairly we once a week or so, and our decks began evolving and began bloating. And so I think right now, if I were to pull that deck out, it's somewhere in the range of 250, 260 cards. Jesus. Um, the vast majority of them 
would only be useful in one particular scenario against his deck. And I think his deck was just the same way. It was somewhere around 200 to 300 cards, usually just to counter shit that I was doing. Um, one other note on magic, and then we'll wrap it up. If you have some friends that are open-minded, strip magic is probably the most fun party game you will ever play. <laughs> and on to Mark's first topic. <laughs> I'm just saying. We're going to totally shift gears because my first topic is probably something that you would have thought that I loved from a wee boy. Oh. But I just got into it maybe 12 years ago. Hot Wheels. No. Close, though. NASCAR. (laughs) We're going to get a little Southern here. Uh, Growing up, you know, uh, my father was in drag racing, so that was what we primarily watched. I adapted to... IndyCar very quickly. That's our national motorsport. Uh, you know, history dating back over a hundred years. So I started watching IndyCar. Then later on, I got into Formula One, and I never really watched NASCAR. My father hated it. He still hates it to this day. He refuses to watch NASCAR. He makes fun of me for watching NASCAR. When my uncle was alive, he watched NASCAR. And, you know, I would dabble around and it was whatever and blah, blah, blah. And usually NASCAR was what was on on Saturdays on TBS before wrestling came on at 6.05. Nice. So you would sit through the end of NASCAR and then you'd get to wrestling and then that was that. And, of course, I said I never had cable. So, you know, growing up, if I wanted to watch it, I would have to go up my grandmother's. And by the time I really got old enough to actually sit down and maybe enjoy it or not enjoy it, the only guy I really rooted for died, and that was Dale Earnhardt. So it was like, okay, well, I'm not going to watch this anymore, and then it went away. And, you know, it wasn't an oval thing. It wasn't, you know, a left-turn thing. I, I love dirt racing, as most people in America, you know, most racing fans in America do. Uh, that's all ovals. You know, I love IndyCar, you know, the Indy 500, America's Greatest Race. That's an oval race. So it wasn't any of that. It was just something I never got into. And then when I graduated college, when I came home, when I bought my own TV, oh, I could watch what I want to watch. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so uh, there's nothing else on, you know, February, March. Okay, we'll watch the NASCAR race. And it really started to interest me because, yes, on the surface of it, the cars are all identical. You know, they always say, oh, a Toyota and a Chevy and a Ford and a Dodge, they're all the same. It's just the the headlight stickers they put on the front. Well, on the outside, that's true. They do have body templates they have to adhere to. They do have laser measurements and things like that. But it's underneath, it's under the skin where it really gets technical. And you really have to watch and you really have to keep your head up for that. So that really got me interested. Uh, the other thing I like is I like engines. You know, I have a lot of experience with engines. I play with engines. Most of my experience is with pushrod engines. And you watch, uh, you know, NASCAR, and they're doing things with a single cam and block 16-valve pushrod engine that are just unbelievable. I mean, they're spinning 8,000, 8,500 RPMs for three, four hours on a Sunday. Uh, you know, up until I think it was five years ago, they didn't even have fuel injection. They were still running carburetors. So to see basically the same technology that I have out in the shop, you know, taken to the umpteenth extreme was pretty interesting. And then the last thing was, it was the personalities. I mean, it's very bright. It's very colorful. It's almost got a pro wrestling vibe in that you have heels and faces and 
you know, certain drivers drive dirty and certain drivers are clean. And even the dirty drivers don't even really do it because they have to. They do it because it's kind of like their personality and they, you know, they have to live the gimmick sort of. And it's a very Americanized sport. And, you know, this year I'm very excited because I, I have been the most ardent IndyCar defender. Uh, and, you know, some, some days we'll, we'll go over the IndyCar split. That's a, whole, that's a whole episode we could do on that. And NASCAR played a big part in that. But that's neither here nor there. Um, but really, since the split, they've been on the downturn. And they're trying to come back. And Roger Penske, you know, bought the series now. And he's trying to bring them back. But for a while, they really were, you know, the definitive national driving championship. You had road courses, you had street courses, you had short ovals, you had long ovals, you had dirt ovals. You know, that's why they were called championship cars. It was our national championship. Well, they've sort of faded away from that now, and it's basically like F1 light, only in America. And you look at NASCAR now, you look at their schedule coming up, which Lord knows if they'll get it off the ground, but with the Rona still raging. But on paper... You know, they have uh, five or six road courses, I think, which is the most they've ever had in their history. Uh, they have short ovals. They have, you know, the huge ovals, Daytona, Talladega, Indianapolis. Uh, they're racing on dirt again this year. They haven't raced on dirt since the 70s. Uh, all they really need is a, a street circuit, and they'll have the whole set. And they're racing 38 times on paper. Schedule 38 races long, so every week you're going to have this national touring championship. And, uh, you know, I don't want to admit it, but they're all, they've almost supplanted IndyCar. You know, I, it kills me to say that. That'll still be my first love, but uh, really in the last 15 years, I've really come around on the good old boys from down south. Yeah, i got to be honest. I know next to nothing about racing. I didn't realize IndyCar and NASCAR weren't the same thing. Like I said, we'll do an episode, maybe not season two, but definitely in season three, we'll do an episode on the IndyCar split. Um, and I'll educate you on a lot of the behind-the-scenes the behind the politics. Uh, but, you know, if you're on the fence, if you think NASCAR is just a bunch of good old boys drinking moonshine, it's come a hell of a long way. Uh, and it's actually pretty damn entertaining. It's a good way to spend a, a Sunday if you got nothing else to do. Is IndyCar the one where they have the wings in front of the wheels? Yes. Ah. <laughs> yes, IndyCar is open wheel, open cockpit. Uh, NASCAR more resembles a production vehicle. Oh, very good. I know a thing about cars. All right, mister, I know a thing about cars. What's your second? Th what's the second thing you know about? <laughs> the second thing I know about uh, is um, conventions. I didn't get oh. into conventions until after college. And, uh, I mean, just, it's such a big culture, right? Like, uh, I mean, I know a lot of people who are going since they were, uh, like, kids and preteens. And, you know, I know people who went with their parents. And uh, my first, uh, like, fan convention was Anime Boston in 2010. And, uh, I mean, I was graduated college and... A friend was like, hey, you're sad and living on your own. Why don't you come with me to this convention and not be sad for a few week, a few days? Uh, which, I mean, I happened to have met my wife that weekend and everything was great after that. So it was a good move. Um, but 
Uh, I do notice that con culture has definitely changed for me since I was 22. Uh, I don't stay up until four in the morning anymore at conventions. (laughs) Um, I remember the first few years I was going to Anime Boston, I was up late enough to actually see that there was a room open for a panel called Hentai Worth Watching. Uh, I've never gone into said panel, but it is at Anime Boston every year. Yet again, I must say, you know, much like Strip Magic, get out of your comfort zone a little bit. One of the best panels I ever went to uh, was at Otakon, and it was How to Walk in Nine Inch Heels. (laughs) Um, You know, so just, you know, don't don't be afraid. (laughs) Uh, But there's so much to con culture that, like, I never... I never really got into beforehand. I didn't know any of my friends in high school who went to conventions or at at least talked about it. I mean, I went to a very conservative Catholic high school, so we did not have an anime club. (laughs) I wish we had an anime club. That would have been awesome. I had one friend who used to draw anime figures at the lunch table, and that was about as much exposure to anime as I got. But yeah, no, I, for me, it was just, it was like this whole world of like, uh, like the artists, the dealers, the music. Uh, the first year I went to Anime Boston was the first year that they had a, uh, a Japanese band come and play. Uh, and it was, uh, I, like I've met, I've gotten to meet like artists and voice actors and really cool things. At these conventions, I, I found like a whole genre of music I didn't know existed that I really like. So, yeah, I mean, conventions, uh, they're pretty awesome. I'm kind of looking forward to the day when I have tiny humans who are old enough to go to one. Well, this is a fantastic segue because my second thing I actually discovered at a convention. Ooh, yes. Uh, and it's a band. Uh, it's a band you. Probably everybody else listening is like, oh, yeah, you know, they're a thing and they're great. But I, you know, only discovered them a few years ago. Freeze Pop. I don't know who the hell Freeze Pop is. <laughs> well, you're, you were like me when I... Uh, they're from uh, Boston, actually. They're a Boston band. And they are a synth band. Uh, two guitars, electronic drum kit, vocals. And I was at Anime USA in 2009, 2010-ish. So we're right on the cusp. It was right after I had got out of college. And, uh, you know, most conventions, especially if they're a 24-hour convention, you know, once the panels and everything you go to see in the morning are d- or the day are done, I would go up to the hotel room, get something to eat, proceed to, you know, absolutely drink like a fish, and then go to, you know, some 18-plus panel or rave or something. Much like yourself, a con is much different for me today. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have no interest in doing any of that. I, I don't do the rave um, anymore. Jesus. No. Uh, but so, you know, I was up in the hotel room, you know, with a bottle of some ungodly whiskey. I don't know if it was Corby's or Banker's Club or whatever, because I was buying for quantity, not quality then. And uh, my friend Bernie and well, our friend Bernie and our mutual friend uh, Bernie and I named Foster and his girlfriend at the time, Megan, said, you know, the Freeze Pops, the headline concert and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't know who the hell they are. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, they're in rock band and they're in rock band, too, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, not any of the rock band songs I play. Yeah. Never heard of them. 
And basically, you know, Megan convinced me to go. And we went, and it probably still to this day, if not the best concert I've ever seen, is one of the two or three best concerts I've ever seen. Amazing. Um, they just, you know, they have a really catchy, like, their music is good, but it's not even so much that it's good, it's just you will find yourself humming it, you know, at random points. I mean, nowadays when I play rock band, or uh, something. If I play any of the freeze pop songs, the wife will walk around the house later on just humming the song to herself. <laughs> uh, and, you know, they have Panache. Um, at the time that I saw them, their roster was Liz Enthusiasm, uh, the other Sean T. Drinkwater, who portrays a clone of himself on stage, uh, and the Duke of Belgian Waffles. That was... <laughs> That was their roster. Uh, and they ended the show with a cover of The Final Countdown, which on dual keytar is just ridiculous. Uh, so, yeah, Freeze Pop is great. If you have Rock Band, Rock Band 2, you know, Rock Band 3, 4, they've been in basically all of them. Uh, definitely go and play some of their music. You won't regret it. Uh, they have a new album out this year, which I'm ashamed to... It just came out in November, late November, early December, and I have not picked it up yet. It's one of their few studio albums I don't actually own. But Shame. I'll get it soon. I know, I'll get it soon, I'll get it soon. Uh, but I've listened to a few of the singles on it, and it's it's obviously really good, like all their stuff. That's so, amazing. Yeah. I think at a convention, the best music act I ever saw was this Japanese band called Stereo Pony. And uh, I don't sound Japanese at all. <laughs> I, I didn't know what to expect. And so Holly and I went to this concert and uh, these three really cute Japanese girls get up on stage and they're not like they're not like dressed in lolly outfits or anything like they're dressed in normal clothing. And I'm like, oh, cool. We're here for some J-pop. And then they just fucking ripped on the guitars they were so rock. It was awesome. And like, you know, you've got the girl in the bass in the background just just ripping it hard. You've got the guitarist just shredding. And uh, then you've got the, the singer up there. And like, it's like the lyrics sounded kind of J-poppy with just this crazy, awesome guitar riff and bass riff in the background. And I was like, no way. This is amazing. There are few things as good as going to a concert where you have, you know, no real expectations either way or possibly low expectations. And then the band starts to play and your only reaction is, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that happened to me uh, at a local venue, too. Not, this is not convention related, but um, there is a. Oh, my God, this is going to bug me. I need to look it up. Um, I'll have to find it for later and send it to you. There, there's a, a band that's like a, they're a metal band, but it's like metal and rockabilly. Okay. And it sounds like Elvis-ish, but also metal. Oh, all right. Uh, I'll find it later and I'll send it to you. Uh, fans, if, if I can find it later, I'll uh, pop a link in the show notes for you. Uh, so, uh, we down to my third? Yes. My third? All right. Take us to the home stretch. Uh, so my last fandom is not, it's not, not nerdy or anything at all. It's, it's, it's cooking. Ah. I, 
didn't really get into cooking at all when I was a kid. Like, at all. Like, I, I could not boil water when I moved out. Um, I remember the first time I tried to make spaghetti when I was living on my own, and I saw, like, two bubbles come out of the water and dumped all the spaghetti in. <laughs> so, like, we were working. And it's not like my parents didn't try and teach me. I just was ADD and didn't bother to learn. And now, like, you know, years and years and years later, like, I'm doing cocktail experiments in my basement, like, every other weekend. I'm making, like, pies from scratch. I'm making, you know, soups and stews and, and roasts. And, you know, I, I, like, I spent a bunch of time last year, like, mastering slow-cooked ribs. Like, I really enjoy cooking. And uh, I had no idea. Like, I think this is probably the one big thing that when I was became an adult I found out I liked a thing and I had no idea and no prior experience for it whatsoever and uh for me like the big onboarding ramp was Alton Brown and his okay. his show uh Good Eats on the Food Network because uh and and I love like meeting people who've never seen Good Eats before it Good Eats is like it's a it's like a normal like one person cooking show like you know any of the other like barefoot contessa or uh, any of the like Rachel Ray shows or something like that but Alton Brown is basically Dr Emmett Brown from uh, the the Back to the Future movies and so he teaches cooking through science uh, my favorite episode of the original run of Good Eats is uh, he takes an entire 30-minute episode to teach you the science behind how to make a chewy chocolate chip cookie. Okay. And it was amazing. Like, he's, he's, like, if you adjust the ingredients this way, you get a flat, crunchy cookie. If you adjust it this way, you get an ooey-gooey cookie. If you adjust it this way, you kind of combine the two, so you get, like a, like, a crunchy exterior and a chewy interior that lasts for a while. And it, it like he's also ridiculous. So if you've never seen Good Eats, uh, dear fans or Mark, I highly recommend it. He's hilarious and super, super, super campy. So I learned how to cook a ton from this dude, and now like I'm just obsessed. You know, it, Good Eats is fantastic. He just revived it fairly recently. I think in the last couple of years. Um, I'm obsessed with the Great British Bake Off, uh, as everybody should be, because it's fantastic. Um, and I mean that that interest led directly into like my interest in mixology and bartending and and you know basically kind of fueled my my uh, incessant demands to Mark that we do a podcast together. <laughs> Which you know, hey, I mean, if we want to file that under you know things that I didn't think we I'd enjoy, but I do. Yeah, exactly. You know, you have cooking. I, I have the podcast. No, I, I, I have to admit, I'm, I'm a little jealous. Um, you know, I can cook. I, I do most of the cooking for the wife and I, but I, I don't like it. Oh, <laughs> I, no. don't, I don't enjoy it. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll starve otherwise. So it is what it is. Um, I like to grill, though, and I consider grilling separate from cooking. Um, but I, I do like to grill. Grilling was one of the first things I learned. And I... I feel like being good at grilling is really an art form because, like, I can't... Like, I don't cook chicken full stop on the grill. It terrifies me. Like, I never get the time in <laughs> right. 
See, you know, we don't want to we don't want to peg people into gender roles here. But you know, if you want to go old school and be, you know, a quote unquote manly man, you <laughs> know, gr- grilling grilling is, I think, one of the the you know, for lack of a better term, manly things. You know, you, you might not you might not know how to cook, but you know, you got to know how to grill. Damn it. You know, as you chomp on a cigar and spit into the wind, you know. It, it's definitely one of those, like, weirdly male things that, like, I don't know how it ever ended up that way because I know a lot of women who are fantastic grill chefs. Oh, my, my mother's great on the grill. Yeah. But it's, I think it's just, you know, at the end of the day, it, we are orangutans, we're monkeys, we're primates, yeah. and it's just leftover caveman bullshit. You know, we create fire and we just cook raw meat over a fire and then we grunt. And, you know, if you're making ribs, you still eat it with your hands, you know, and it's just leftover caveman bullshit. It's the it's the worst thing in the world, because as much as I like love cooking and I will grill like I grill a bunch in the summer, uh, I really, really, really hate being sticky <laughs> that's another soundbite isolate that that's I, this episode. I really don't like my hands being sticky so like when i eat ribs i have to like i'm like okay it's okay bj you're about to eat ribs now and there are napkins and there's a sink right there that you could wash your hands in. it's fine i cannot wait until and i'm going to put this on, on the record here we're going to record this so i remember once we're vaccinated and I see you, I'm going to gimmick a pack of honey in my hand. <laughs> and then when I go to give you a high five, it's going to explode in the honey. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it so much. Because you know I'll fucking do it, too. It's so gross. <laughs> uh, all right. All so right. what's your third one, all buddy? Right. Now well, that I'm traumatized <laughs> by honey. We, you know... We're, Surprise, surprise, we're running long in the first episode of the new season. Um, I struggled with the third one, as I said, because I had quite a few things um, that I had stopped and picked back up again. Magic actually was one of them I was considering, so I'm glad I didn't do that. Um, but maybe it's, it's, I shouldn't say maybe, it's almost guaranteed it's because I'm currently replaying the entire series now. But I realized that uh, this is a franchise, video game franchise, that I got into very late. Oh, yeah. uh, if we were recording this on a different week, this probably wouldn't be my third, but we're recording this now, so it is. Saints Row. Oh, man. <laughs> I have opinions. Uh, <laughs> now, the first Saints Row came out in 2006, which, of course, you know, we were still in college. I only ever played the first Saints Row once because it was an Xbox exclusive. I never had an Xbox. Uh, I played it over my buddy Foster's house. Bombed out of my mind on Yingling. Because <laughs> uh, his parents were the cool parents that as long as you gave them your keys and spent the night, you could drink there. So we, he, his parents had a big house on the lake, so we would go up there and get absolutely trashed, and we thought we were trendy drinking Yingling. That was the hipster beer in the 2000s. <laughs> um, uh, so I played it once, one night. I really liked the insurance fraud missions. Couldn't tell you anything else about it. Uh, then I skipped two entirely. I, I, you know, two came out in 2008. Couldn't tell you. I was playing Fallout. Yeah. And then in uh, 2011 was Saints Row the Third. And for whatever reason, all the screenshots I saw, all the videos I saw, I said, oh, you know, maybe this is a game I could really get into. It doesn't really look like a Grand Theft Auto clone anymore. 
So I bought it. It actually came out three days after my birthday. It came out November 15th, 2011. So I took some of my birthday money that year, went and bought it, uh, played it, absolutely loved it. Loved the third. Uh, went back and said, oh, the se- you know, the second one was out for the PlayStation. I'll go back and buy that. You can get it used now pretty cheap. And everybody says it's even better than the third one. Eh. <laughs> the second one is fun, don't get me wrong. And the second one probably has a better story but I don't know if it's a better game. Yeah, fair. Uh, And then in 2013 came out Saints Row 4. Now, I have to preface this by saying I'm almost done with Saints Row 4. The entire series is on PlayStation now, so I beat 2 again, I beat 3 again, and now I'm about three-quarters of the way through 4. And when 4 came out, when I went and bought it brand new and I played it, I beat it, and I hated it. Yeah. With a fiery passion. Playing it now, what, six years later again, I'm starting to soften up on it a little bit. Four is my favorite, dude. I still think it's the worst of the three, but I don't actively hate it as much as I did. See, I'm one of those rare Saints Row fans where I think the series gets infinitely better with each addition to the series. Like, I... Started with three. I really like three. I loved four. And holy crap, Get Out of Hell was amazing. Well, I haven't played Get Out of Hell yet. That's next. I have it downloaded. But uh, I, when that had come out, I was so fed up with four that I didn't buy it originally. So I'll have to play that next. But I have to say, especially now, you know, like all things, with the benefit of hindsight, you know, I know THQ was going bankrupt when they were making four. Uh, so what they did to try to wrap up the series with all the little callbacks and all the little inside jokes and things, having played two, then three, then four, all in a row, they hit a lot harder. Mm -hmm. And they're a lot funnier. So I am enjoying that more. I am going to play God Out of Hell once I finish four. uh, And I'll be going into that with an open mind because I've never never played that before. But I, I do enjoy the fact that we do have this insane shared universe. Because Saints Row, Red Faction of all things, and Agents of Mayhem all share the same universe. That's so good. Uh, and, you know, as a fan of the Red Faction games, uh, that's, that's kind of fun, you know, to tie that all together. So Saints Row, you know, we're purple. Join the Third Street Saints. Uh, and we'll go from there. There was a v- investor call for THQ Nordic in August or September it was the third quarter, 2019, where they claimed to be working on a new Saints Row game. Oh my God. I don't uh, know where they're going to go at this point. Well, you know, I mean, without getting into spoilers, they did leave the door open in four if you got the golden ending. They did, uh, but it's also, like, there's so... I mean, it's basically intergalactic for five. That's the only way they could go, because they've literally been to the underworld. It's true. So, yeah, we'll see. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, with the Rona and everything, they didn't announce anything either way for 2020, and who knows. But, you know, with everything going on with Cyberpunk, maybe waiting another year isn't the worst thing in the world. Oh, Cyberpunk. Uh, But, uh, yeah, so that's that. That's Saints Row. Those are my three adulthood uh, you could technically, you know, I, I was debating between Saints Row and Fallout, but I did play Fallout 2 quite extensively 
in high school. I hated it. It sucked. I don't care what anybody says. Everybody's like, oh, Fallout 2 is the best one. No, it's awful. Don't play it. <laughs> um, it's I, so slow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I think if I had to pick a video game series I didn't get into until adulthood, it would probably be like Final Fantasy Kingdom Hearts. Okay. Because I, I don't think I played 13 until I was in my 20s. And that was the first uh, Final Fantasy I ever played. And I didn't start with Kingdom Hearts until like seven or eight years ago, which I am now just horribly, horribly obsessed. We should probably... He do. is. I, I could do a whole episode on Kingdom Hearts. I... I will oh, say I could bring Allie in for that one. She'd oh, be all man. about it because she goes on and on about it at work, and then I get a nosebleed and I pass out. Yeah, and when I wake up, she's still talking. So, uh, if you've ever seen the Pepe Sylvia episode of uh, "It's Always Fun, uh, Sunny in Philadelphia," that's basically what it's like to talk about Pokemon or Kingdom Hearts for me. Of course, DJ's going to be—he's uh, going to be getting it from you know my my side because I have. Uh, taking the plunge, I, I possess now a copy of Lego Dimensions. Oh, so it's good. upstairs. It's not opened. It's for the PS3. It's not for the PS4 because, damn almighty, is it hard to get a copy for the PS4. Uh-huh. But uh, the the platform is the same for everybody. It is. Well, no, it's the same for every PlayStation. The Xbox has a bespoke one. Oh, okay. And, yeah, and so I could I, bring my disc down and we could play it on the PS4. Well, yeah, but I'm just going to order a used disc from GameStop for six ninety nine. That's fair. Um, but, yeah, no, the weirdly, the PlayStations, they each have their own bespoke. A 360 pad won't work on an Xbox One, and an Xbox One pad won't work on a 360. Very strange. Uh, yeah, Microsoft wants money. Go figure. <laughs> All right, so I think that's it. What the hell are we doing next week? We didn't talk about this because I've been away. Well, I I don't know. We didn't We didn't really come up with... Uh, we don't have a guest lined up for next week yet. Um, and, I mean, we've got... I'm trying to think of what we've got that we haven't done. Do We've got, like, comic books. We could do comic books. I mean, if you want to take Marvel, I could take DC. Although we both like DC, though, so that's not really fair. Uh, I would take that side of the argument. I don't know if it's an argument, but <laughs> it's just I know way more about DC than I know about Marvel. Uh, uh, we we could we could turn this into a Marvel versus DC. Uh, okay, I mean we we could that could be fun, like our coffee versus tea episode. Yeah. Uh, which I mean, completely with the disclaimer that I love both of them. Um, yes, but um, I, I I do. While I don't read as many Marvel comics, I do enjoy Iron Man. I do enjoy Captain America. Um, so yeah, no, we're, we'll both be, uh, living the gimmick a little bit. We'll be playing up the villain role. <laughs> yeah. So let's do, why don't we do Marvel and DC and whiskey next week? And then we can kind of have like a broader chat about comic books later. So we can talk about indie titles too. Yes. No, cause that definitely needs to, uh, be talked about. So no, I like that. So, all right, there you have it, folks. Pick your side in the coming week. Exactly. And, and of course, we always want to thank our fans for coming back. I mean, we had a bit of a delay in season two trying to get, get it out there. Well, Sorry. Uh, Mark was technically homeless for a couple of uh, weeks there. But we just want to thank everybody for sticking with us. I hope everyone uh, really enjoyed the Christmas episode we did. And 
Um, I'm looking forward to hitting some more holidays this year with you, Mark. Oh Lord above! Well, we'll have to have some fun. You know, we could do the we we could do Valentine's Day. We could do St. Patrick's Day. We could do Easter. I'm trying to think what are, the Ides of March. I could just cry for an hour over the loss of Julius Caesar. Wasn't we got he, a lot coming up. Wasn't he a dictator? Now, now I know what you're trying to do here. So, fans, I just wanna just wanna ask that you, uh, if if you could, like, comment, subscribe, uh, like we always say. Um, we are out on iTunes, and those reviews really do help us out. So if you they could, do. Uh, if you could uh, go out there, give us a rating. It'll bump us up in the charts and, and help us stay visible. Uh, we just want to remind you that we do have a website. I, I kind of rebooted the website a little bit, got some, some of our photos from Season 1 out there, uh, and, and updated with a new blog post. Uh, so our website is thewittenwhiskeycast.com. Uh, we are at the Witten Whiskey Cast on uh, just all of the places, right? Facebook and Instagram being all of the places. Uh, we aren't on Twitter. Maybe we'll contemplate that at some point. Um, but we are up on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. We got some episodes up on Podbean. Uh, now that we're back for season two, we'll re- be releasing every Friday morning. So look yep. forward to that. And, uh, of course, we want to thank Nuno Henry Silva for our intro and outro music. Uh, we'll be sending you to his SoundCloud in, uh, his, in our show notes. And, uh, Mark, I don't know if you heard, I think he just this past week published some short fiction. Oh, awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to, to we'll have to ask him about that, because he is coming. He is, he is. He's like Gabo. Nuno is coming. <laughs> um. So, no, we're definitely going to have to pick his brain about that. We'll have a published author, like a real one, not just like the bullshit articles that I get published in journals and nobody reads. We'll have a real published author on here. Yeah, exactly. Not just a blog post we put up on the website. Yeah. <laughs> but that'll be awesome. I can't wait to uh, to get more into season two with you, man. I can't wait either. It's going to be a lot of fun. So, you know, once again, folks, thanks for sticking with us. And we're going to see you over the next 14 weeks. So, hey, salute. Cheers. Cheers.